One of the 20th century's most famous Christmas songs is I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, written by Irving Berlin and originally sung by Bing Crosby in the early 1940s. It's the stuff romantic, old-fashioned, cosy Christmases are made of. But this evening's scripture begs the question, what are we dreaming of this Christmas? And why? In the text we'll see three of Joseph's dreams. Now these are supernatural dreams of assistance to preserve the infant Jesus from harm. After all, the Lord's plans and purposes will always be accomplished one way or another. And cruel and despotic rulers can never frustrate the sovereign purposes of God. And hence, Joseph is guided by an angelic voice, giving him knowledge about the threat facing them, so that they can take action. Now for sure, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' mother, were not dreaming of a white Christmas. In fact, the reason they had travelled to Bethlehem was to comply with the political edict of Rome as she took a census of the whole Roman world. Like competent administrators, the Romans wanted to efficiently tax their subjects. Armies and bureaucracies don't come cheap then as now. But no doubt they did dream of a safe and healthy delivery for their special child. They were mindful of where to raise him securely. Nothing could prepare them for the force of the wrath of a tyrannical ruler, except the timely intervention of Jesus' real father, the Lord God himself. Having had the trauma of the unconventional nature of Jesus' conception to face, the uncomfortable travel south to Bethlehem, the emergency accommodation arrangements made for Jesus' birth, what other challenges would this young family face? And how do these things speak to us in the 21st century, more than 2,000 years later? Let's read, shall we, from Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And read from verse 13 to the end of chapter 2. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. That's the Magi had departed. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, 
Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, dream number three, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. May God bless this word to us this evening and grant us understanding and encouragement through it. If you're taking notes, then there's three D's. I'm sure you can guess the first one, dreams. The second D is destruction. And thirdly, departure. Dreams, destruction and departure. Firstly, dreams. When you think of dreams, what do you think of in Scripture? Do you, does a Joseph come to mind? <laughs> right? But not this Joseph, right? A different Joseph. Uh, the dreamer, Joseph. Well, whilst Joseph, the son of Jacob, was a charismatic and precocious young man who famously dreamt dreams of a glorious future, Joseph, the earthly father of our Lord, seems to have been a much more reserved and private individual. Yet nonetheless, a man of godly principle who stood by his young betrothed and defended both her and the child Jesus relentlessly. We should be encouraged by God's choice of an earthly father for our Lord. Joseph was not a dreamer, in the sense that his ambitions were lofty and out of reach. Now he was a practical man, a man of honour, a man perfect for the task the Lord set before him, to love and raise the Son of God as best any earthly father could. But like any of us, he needed help. In fact, as we heard this morning, we all need help. God's help to see the dangers around the corner, to wisely prioritise the right things in our lives, things that please the Lord. In the world today, we're taught right from a young age to dream big. We're taught that warmth, comfort and a well-stocked refrigerator are what we really need to navigate this festive season successfully. And so many are dreaming of a cosy white Christmas, just like the ones we used to know. But are we looking back through rose-tinted glasses? Were the Christmases of long ago quite as romantic and fulfilling as we remember? How about those have-nots? You know, the kind the Salvation Army reminds us of at this time of year. Folks who find themselves on hard times, sleeping rough in freezing temperatures, in the rain 
and the snow? Or how about those who've never heard the saving gospel of Jesus? What are they dreaming of this Christmas? Well, there are many dreamers. But God's dreams always come true. Because he has unlimited knowledge of every detail of of the human story, past, present and future. It is us who need to have our knowledge filled in. It is us who need to have our perspectives challenged and changed by a God who opens eyes. And it's a good job that God has done this. Because otherwise we would never have come into a knowledge of his loving kindness. We would have never come to know the meaning of the word grace. The numerous times that he's rescued us from ourselves and from circumstances beyond our control and knowledge. Just think for a moment. What does the testimony of your life say? These things ought to instill a great sense of reverence and awe. And yet, we're excellent at forgetting, aren't we? That is also our condition. Well, unsurprisingly, the Jews forgot the miraculous deliverances granted them by God. Oh, They told the story often enough, just as we tell the Christmas story year after year. But to what extent did it transform their lives? How far did a a loose knowledge of their heritage forge a deep-seated faith that revolutionised their behaviour and their heart attitudes? The prophet Hosea, cited in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, reminds the people of Israel of God's deliverance from Egypt. Yet, as he says, the more they were called, the more they went away. Verse 2. Israel preferred to sacrifice to false gods, to indulge in idolatry and unfaithfulness towards the God who had delivered them faithfully time and again. It was the Lord who was the one who had done everything for them. He had taught them to walk. He healed them. He led them in love and kindness. He eased their yoke and fed them. Do you hear these beautiful echoes of Jesus? Because Jesus is the Lord God Almighty. It's no coincidence that Scripture speaks so clearly of him and why he quotes Scripture frequently. Jesus is the faithful, patient and long-suffering God of Israel who bore with them and who bore their sins at the cross. So what are you dreaming of this Christmas? Maybe we should be dreaming of radical ways that we can glorify our Saviour. The Saviour who loved us since before we were born. You see, when we know who this baby would become, when we know what it is that he would say, and how his life would become the key to our truly living, 
Well, then we begin to dream big dreams. Dreams where the impossible becomes possible. What happens if we dream other dreams? This is my next point, destruction. See, friends, it's essential that we start to dream godly dreams rather than being satisfied with the dreams commonly found in the world. Hankering after luxury and comfort will only bring us distress and disaster. As we see in the text this evening, King Herod could not tolerate the thought of a challenger to his throne in Jerusalem. In reality, Herod was an imposter, a pretender, who had inherited the throne by the good grace of the Roman Emperor, Julius Caesar. The Romans knew that often the best way to subdue a people was to install a ruthless local ruler who owed their position entirely to Rome. These client kings would suppress any freedom movements and ensure that as they extorted wealth from the population that Rome got its cut. This is how the world works. Seeking shortcuts to fame and glory and fortune. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. But friends, that's not what leads to eternal life. A furious flurry of treasure hunting here on earth will be a short-lived affair. The moral failures and offences that we have committed here to achieve our selfish dreams will one day demand an explanation as the Lord of glory scrutinises our every thought, word and deed. And so here in the Christmas story, Herod signifies the world's rebellion against God and every person's refusal to submit themselves to God's holy law and plan for humankind, clearly revealed in scripture. Each and every person who resists God will charge headlong through the broad gates that lead to destruction, warns Jesus. And clearly, Herod, along with many of his religious officials, did not believe in an afterlife. Otherwise, they would not have ordered the murder of countless young boys from the Bethlehem region. In his bloodthirsty pursuit of his own illegitimate glory, Herod causes unimaginable suffering and destruction. A man who did not hesitate to kill his own children to preserve his power did not think twice about snuffing out the offspring of his unfortunate subjects. Only dreams given mercifully from Jesus' loving Father in heaven would save the infant Jesus from this coming genocide. And only a dream of a new life made possible through the blood of this same Son can spare each one of us from the coming judgment towards sinful rebels. According to the revelation given to the apostles, including Matthew, who wrote this gospel, Jesus is the new and greater Moses, who will lead his people out of captivity to sin and into true freedom in him. 
In verse 18, the prophet Jeremiah is also quoted. And he speaks of the weeping of Rachel for her sons Joseph and Benjamin, symbolizing the sorrow of Israel during the time of their exile to Babylon. Did Jeremiah realize how this sorrow would be fulfilled more fully at the time of Christ through the weeping of the mothers of Judah, bereaved of their infant sons? Perhaps. And in the next section of Jeremiah's prophecy, the return from exile is foreseen, a foreshadowing once again of Jesus' redemption of his people from the kingdom of darkness into his marvellous kingdom of light. In verse 19, we're given news of Herod's demise, the inevitable result of a life squandered in self-seeking acquisition. The result is a miserable death, a pitiful epitaph, and the judgment of the holy and righteous God. As Jesus himself would later say, all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Matthew 26, verse 52. Herod was ruthless in his pursuit of his own glorious enterprise. Are we certain which dreams we're dreaming and building our lives upon? Finally, departure. And so Joseph acts on the dream given given him by God. Joseph believes the Lord, demonstrating his faith. And so the family flees to the land of Egypt, out of reach from Herod and his henchmen. Jesus' earthly father sets him a good example right from his early years of listening to and obeying God, something Jesus himself would do par excellence, far outshining any of the prophets before him and any of his disciples. Just as Moses led the departure from Egypt, escaping the bonds of slavery. So Jesus would lead his people on the more significant exodus from bondage to sin. Jesus would bring about a turnaround, a departure from our old way of life to a new and hopeful future. Much more hopeful than a simple return home to the promised land. Now Jesus secures fertile pasture for his sheep for all eternity. As we turn from our old life of sin and self-sufficiency to fully trust and depend on Christ. In these verses we see the redundancy of the Jewish religious system in the fact that Jesus demonstrates himself to be the true Israel the true faithful and obedient Son of God, by successfully enduring the period of testing for 40 days in the wilderness, which takes place just a couple of chapters later, in chapter 4. In contrast to Israel, the people of God, as we've discovered in our studies through Exodus, they were led out of Egypt by Moses, 
They wandered in the desert for 40 years, largely fail the tests set them. Yet as with us, God keeps his side of the covenant and he keeps his promises. You see, all were called to depart in fulfilment of the word of God. Yet only Jesus succeeds in obeying his father's will perfectly and securing true freedom for his people. This theme of obedient departure, of getting up and going at the command of God, continues upon Herod's death. And again, when the travel plans are amended to take Jesus and his family further north to Nazareth to avoid the unjust rule of Herod's surviving son, Archelaus, another worldling whose ruthless self-promotion also secured him a pitiful fate. Some of you may be thinking at the end of this text that we've read this evening, Pastor Ben, how about this last prophecy suggested by Matthew of Jesus being called a Nazarene? Which prophet foresaw that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene? A great question. Well, Matthew doesn't cite a precise text in the way he cites the previous two in our passage this evening. But interestingly, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11 and verse 1 of Isaiah refers to the Messiah as a branch or a netzer in Hebrew. A netzer, which is the name, the Hebrew name for Nazareth. From the roots of Jesse, the Messiah would come. And from Isaiah 53 verses 1 to 3, we know the suffering servant would be despised by men. And Nazarenes were despised, as the Apostle John tells us time and again. Chapter 1 verse 46, chapter 7 verses 42 and 52. This is something that would have been widely known in first century Israel and by the hearers of Matthew's Gospel. So once again, let us take courage from the birth narrative of Jesus, that this babe born to Mary fulfills an extraordinary number of prophecies, that his life is the one that matters to every single one of God's children, because through him we are rescued from a hell-bound race into oblivion. If he teaches us to depart from the old country of ruin and danger to follow him wherever he leads us, then his rod and his staff will comfort us on our journey. And ultimately, there will be no more weeping because he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Let's bow our heads in prayer.